For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the artists you love. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of worth. Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper. Happy Monday, everyone, and welcome to Richard Skipper Celebrates. Who or what are you celebrating today? It's Memorial Day. It's Mint Julep Day. This is lemonade, by the way. Uh, it's Creativity Day, and it's Lucy Arnaz Day. I'm so excited that I have her on the show tonight. Uh, this is an interview, a conversation, if you will, that I've been wanting to have for a long, long time. Uh, of course, we have had conversations many times uh, David Friedman's Christmas parties uh, over the years. Uh, we were supposed to be uh, sitting on an elephant's back earlier this year in Africa. It didn't oh, happen. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, is it going to happen, Lucy? Are we going to Africa? Yes. Next yes. February. Uh, in February, uh, celebrating my 62nd birthday. I Last year, I was in Provincetown, and it was your birthday, and I went to wish you a happy birthday. And there was a little film clip that you asked if we wanted to go to Africa with you. And I immediately signed up something. It was one of those once in a lifetime experiences. And if you don't jump on these opportunities, they don't happen. Exactly. So I said yes to go to Africa with Lucy. And here, you know, but. A little thing called COVID, put that aside. So hopefully that's going to happen in the future. But I want to say welcome to the show, first of all. And I know that you have been with family today, which is very important to you. And I want to know beyond that, you have been on the road again, finally. Uh, what has that experience been like for you? Very, very rewarding. Oh, my gosh. To come back after all that time of not doing what you do. I think some people were able to continue being who they were during those two years, Billy Stritch, Ann Hampton Calloway, certain people can entertain them. You know, they can accompany themselves on a mm -hmm. piano and they can sing and do things from their house. And that's not possible for me here. So it really was, I was busy. I was producing movies and things and I was making PPE equipment and taking care of, you know, hospitals and doing all that stuff and being a grandmother and being a, a mother and, and cleaning house and doing all this. I was never dull. It was never dull. I was never bored, <laughs> but I didn't get to do what my bliss is. I didn't get to do it. So going back was terrifying in a way, like, do I still even know how to do this? Because I've never been out of work that long since I was 15. And it was a, a bizarre feeling. It's just something I hasn't I not experienced. I mean, I've been out of work for months but you know there's something coming up, you're just waiting for it, or you're kind of rehearsing for something that's coming up. Just knowing that there's, you don't know where the end is gonna be and just being home, I'm sure it was crazy for everybody, um, but I can't do what I do from home. So, you know, and then getting back out there and now especially the knock wood, a lot of, uh, well, all of them so far have been sold out. So um, the performances have been amazing and the, the audiences are so grateful, I think, just to be able to do this again. It's been extraordinary, really. Frank Langella, in his book, he talks about that moment from stepping into the darkness into the light. And it's very much that experience, again, for all of us, where we are now stepping again from the darkness into the light again. And we're going to go back because your show is I Got the Job. And we're going to talk about those many jobs that you've gotten over the years. And the 
evolution and a continuation of a career. But I'd like to go back to this moment recently when that first moment after not being on stage for a long time, the trepidation, the fear, the uh, it's, I'm sure all of those uh, butterflies and everything of, is it there? Do I have it? It, it? You know, even though you've had uh, an incredible career, I'm sure that those feelings are still uh, resurfacing again that first time you're stepping on stage again. Yeah, it wasn't so much, you know, do I know what I'm doing? It's like riding a bicycle part of it. It was really just getting into the rhythm and relaxing the way I had been with this new show, especially we were just kind of getting it, you know, like a brand new show. My husband and I always say it takes, you know, six times eight, like six weeks of eight shows a week before you really feel like, oh, okay, I know what I'm doing here. And we were maybe two weeks of performances in when it all stopped. So ah, it was just like, I don't, I, and I, this, this is the show I have to do now. And I didn't get a lot of like pre-rehearsal time with anybody I had to sort of rehearse it by myself in my head. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're back. And it, I just tried to stay in the moment mm-hmm. and mostly remember to breathe. I mean, all the singing <laughs> stuff was like, oh, breathing, breathing and thinking at the same time. That's what a concept. Because you, you get overwhelmed with the senses, you know, like there's people and there's lights. And it, it was a little bit like starting all over again. Yeah. Like a first time I was ever on stage. Well, Those who watch my show know that every day I pick a word of the day, and the word that I picked for today is serenity. And I'd like to know for you the serenity of both being on stage and off stage and what that word means for you personally. Mm, That's a great question. Well, right away I started thinking about David and Sean because I think I learned about serenity by going to Unity and by listening to David Friedman and his thought exchanges and just looking at the world through a different lens, you know, Uh, I feel serene and I feel at peace, which is what I think serenity is when I am as authentic as I can possibly be. When I'm not worried about what's about to happen and I'm not concerned about what already happened. I'm just in the now, be here now and experience it very present. Just be present. Like I'm trying to be right now and, and not have any preconceptions of how it's going to go. Mm-hmm trust. And sometimes if I really need a little help feeling that way, I'll even say something as woo woo or spiritual, if you will, like Sean would say, spirit, tell me what to think. That's all. And oddly enough, just saying that relaxes me. I get a little more serene and I'm much more comfortable responding to the audience or to you or to my family, you know, you just have to find it in yourself. And it's not a cloud. It's not a float on the middle of an ocean somewhere. It's that piece that you know who you are and you are okay. You are enough. It works for me. It works no for good. me. I start with a surprise question. I used to call them random questions, but someone told me there's no such thing as random. It's a question I haven't even looked at. So uh, that's the uh, randomness of this. And the question is, what was the last foreign country that you visited? The last foreign country? It was Mexico. It was uh, Mexico. We have a beautiful house on the ocean down there on the Sea of Cortez. And uh, I'm going back in another week to check on it again. And um, it's heaven on earth. It's talk about serenity. I mean, I can 
really find myself when I'm there because there are no distractions. Sean and David have been there too. Um, it's just the ocean, the breeze, the palm trees, this beautiful house. There's no TV, there's barely internet. You can't be distracted by your phone and your messages and Facebook and all the things that take up our time all day long. You just are maybe a good book, maybe something you really wanted to you know, d- dive into or just dive into the pool, you know, just. Sounds great. Yeah. So that's the last country. And I, I, I like, I like Mexico. I, I like this part of Mexico. I like Baja a lot. It's the best combination of ocean and desert, you know. Sounds great. Yeah. Uh, Lucy, I did ask for a photograph of you at five years old. Yes. And the reason I asked for a five-year-old fo- photograph, to me, the five-year-old self is the purest self. It's the self before life begins to put uh, layers on you before teachers start telling you who you should be or who you shouldn't be and Mm -hmm. peer pressure and everything. I did a little research and I did find a photograph. So, uh, thank you because you asked me and I didn't have time to go look, but the time you asked me was like, so I went on before we started and this is the photograph. Uh, it may have been a publicity photo. I don't know. At five? Uh, At five. (laughs) But here it is. Here it is. Oh, that's my, well, I don't know if that's five. That's more like, set, well, how do you know that's five? I oh, don't it know. says 1955. If, yeah. That's like I'm four. That's more four. like four years old, but okay, yeah. But you're heading, off, you're heading off to school. I kindergarten. love that. You're I heading off to school. Yes. Um, and uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, so much is in the the public. You know, a lot of it we know is made up. Uh, by the press. But tell us a little bit about this little girl. <laughs> well, she lived in Beverly Hills on 1000 North Roxbury Drive, which was that house, beautiful little house. And she had a brother who was standing there on the steps with her mm-hmm. named Desi. And uh, she went to Marymount Junior School, kindergarten, and then first grade, and, and up through fifth grade. And um, her parents were in show business. And her father was Cuban, and her mother was American Nine Generations. And um, they were very busy people who worked all day long. And uh, they loved their family. They cherished family time with their kids. Yeah. And she grew up to to like show business too. And, and then she started acting and singing and dancing and directing and stuff like that. When was the first awareness that you had of the so-called family business? Well, I don't know what you call awareness, the fact and or family business that they were in show business, that they were they famous. Were in that, show business. They were in show. I don't know if I knew what show business was. I mean, awareness. When would that have been? Somebody just asked me that the other day, and I thought I don't, I don't, I don't remember the time I remembered. I don't remember the time I knew. It just mm-hmm. always was because, as I said, I grew up. I was born six weeks before the show started. Mm-hmm. I love Lucy, and um, so it was just always what they did. That's what they did for a living. And then even when that show was not happening or they were divorced, they still were both individually doing that same kind of thing in other other venues. So it was just the, the work that my folks did. Didn't I think at some point maybe uh, the fact that they were so busy that they couldn't do normal things that most other parents would be able to do. Not, not always that they were so famous they couldn't do it. That was true too sometimes. Like, yeah, she's not going to go school shopping, you know, for – your clothes and your notebooks with you because it would take way too long 
of all the people that would stop. So my grandmother would go instead, but like my neighbor's kids, their parents always went with them. Mm -hmm. So that was different. I knew that was different. That was odd. And it was because of the work that they did, call it show business. I don't think I knew there was a name for, for it at the time. But Lucy, even though you grew up in this world and you were aware, when you became aware that this was that world that you were a part of, there is a spark of something that's there that pulls you in that direction that you say, this is what I really want to be a part of. Oh yeah. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. What was it that pulled you in the direction that you said that this is truly the path that I want to stay on? Probably, and I'm not a hundred percent sure of this, but probably the joy that I saw in, in that world with them and also with all the people around them, I saw that this was, a tremendous way to feel good and it makes other people feel good. They loved what they did. Um, they worked really, 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 really hard and they didn't seem to mind. Mm -hmm. um, there were things that I had to do that were really, 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 really hard. You know, making my bed was hard or doing my homework was hard. And I didn't have the joy, you know, doing that. So I thought, what is it that they do that makes them so eager to be able to work this hard and long hours and they just love it and and they make me happy when I watch them do it and I think subliminally you want to seek that out how do I get some of that where do you find that where do they sell that you know and then you start joining little clubs or putting little plays on or picking your school because it has that or saying yes to things because it's like that and um, for me it was follow your bliss as they say I love that. And Davis Gaines uh, made a wonderful analogy that I, and I've quoted him a lot on this. And he said, being in this business is like being in a pinball machine. He said, mm -hmm. you map out a, an idea of what you want the career to be. But once you are in the throes of it, you're tossed around like a pinball uh, in mm -hmm. this game. And it mm -hmm. ends up being the people that you meet, the circumstances that come your way. And, uh, just the circumstances, the people, everything uh, that surrounds you. Yeah. As you start on your career path, did you have a master plan in mind or in terms of the people that you wanted to work with, the career path that you wanted to choose mm -hmm. and the direction that you wanted to choose for Lucy Arnaz? No, because I was too young. I started so young yes. that all I did was put one foot in front of the other all the time and make, sometimes I made choices, you know, like something came up and something else came up and I thought I had to make a decision sometimes on my own, sometimes with the help of other people in my life. But mostly it was because I started so young. There was no way I had any blueprint for this. I just kept thinking, gee, I hope this continues. This is great. I'm learning. Um, oh, wow. That was fun. I want to do that again. And, um, oh, I didn't do, I feel I didn't do that well. Let me see if I can learn how to do that better. And it just was one thing after another continuously till now. Really, literally, that's how I live my life now. I still have no blueprint. I have no plan. People go, well, isn't there a part you've always wanted to play? And I go, I played them. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> I played so many good parts. I think I played them. I'm sure there are, but I don't even know what they are because I just leave myself open to what's going to come my way and and try not to regret things you know because oh I tried that and that was a disaster no it wasn't it just didn't turn out the way you expected it to but you don't know what it you don't know that it's bad you don't know that it didn't put you you know face you in this direction so that you're supposed to go there um 
it's just been fabulous in that respect, really. It just to let it be and go with it, you know? Well, it, it's been wonderful. I mean, it, was there a moment that you felt that as you were going off and veering off on your own, that there was a pivotal moment that really set you on the Lucy Arnaz path, that you were truly autonomous in this business? That never really happens. It happens and then they and then it goes away and then it happens a little bit again and then it, and then it goes back to Lucille Ball's daughter is in the, you know it never really happens. It's because of the history. Eh, so that's if that's the worst cross I have to bear, that's fine. I'll okay. take that one. Mm -hmm. Thank you. But little by little, I think it piles up to be a little more substantial. I mean, Seesaw was my first real big event. It was a national tour. I was starring in a national tour of a Broadway show. So that was huge, directed by Michael Bennett. And Tommy Toon is in it, and it's all over the country. Mm. And to get your gun for a whole season at Jones Beach was a big deal because it was outside of New York. And I got a New York Times review, and I get a Hirschfeld caricature and all those things. And then that I got the script to their playing our song. And there I was in my first Broadway show, and it was Neil Simon and Marvin Hamish. And those things, you know, they sort of built on one another. But then if you don't get another, you don't find another show, forget get. It wasn't even like an, an audition opportunity. There just weren't any shows like they're playing our song for years. I did a lot of touring companies and Larry and I went out. I had married by that time. And we, we did a lot of shows on the road together. Social Security, National Tour, we, Whose Life Is It Anyway? Did The Guardsman. We did, you know, um, Educating Rita. We stayed very busy in that and having five kids between us. Um, but I didn't find another Broadway show like they're playing our song. It just didn't come along. It was the 80s, early 80s. And I used to say you had to have whiskers or skates to get a job on Broadway. <laughs> That's true. Absolutely. Because Starlight Express and Cats were the big show. And uh, But, you know, I was meant to do other stuff during that time. Then I started doing a couple of films. Then I went over and I did some television. So kept jumping around and I very diversified career, I would say, but maybe too diversified in some respects because people would say, you know, what, what does she do? <laughs> you know, what does she actually do? I don't know. She works. But you also, I mean, but you have uh, had your hands in every aspect of the business as a producer, as a director, as, mm -hmm. as an actress. And mm -hmm. uh, is out of all the hats that you wear, uh, is there one particular hat that you enjoy wearing the most? Hmm. No, I don't think there is one that I enjoy wearing the most. That's an excellent question. Um, I really loved being a director. I have to say that was a new thing. And I love, I'm a good organizer, planner, and that's what a director has to do. The, every question comes to the director, everything. And you have to give it a lot of pre-thought, you know, before you meet with all those people, you can't just show up and wing it. I like that I was good at that. I thought, oh, I can do this and um, grow old doing it because also it's a lot of hard work in a in a small capsule of time. And then you don't have to do the eight shows a week. You just go on to your next thing. That seemed attractive to me for a while. But being in a great show, when you're in a great show, when you're doing a part that tears the house up, you know, but hanging upside down on trapeze and pippin. Well, how do you say I, I don't want to I, do Well, I was lucky enough to see you in that. Uh, I mean, talk about a, a performance. That's pretty thrilling, right? <laughs> I mean, that was crazy. thrilling. And being in a film, certain films that are there forever, and your grandchildren can see them because they're on film, 
that's pretty great. Um, but I love being in, doing concerts now. And they're all for different reasons and at different times of my life. Right now, it suits me to be able to go out in shorter spurts so that I can come back and spend time with Larry, my husband, and um, not have to do a whole run of something. Television. And I, I thought I was, you know, I never really loved being on television, but I thought, well, this is good. It's good money. I can raise my kids, get a nice house, da, 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 da. But it's all fickle. I mean, God, I did so many TV shows, you know, pilots and great shows written by brilliant people. And they give it like a minute and a half and they go, no, that's no, not going to work. I'm just, I thought, I can't do that anymore. That's just, it's, it's too aggravating. And back in the day, like when MASH went on television, I was telling somebody the other day, MASH was number 98 out of 100 shows when it first came out. And it stayed like that for about a year, two years. And then finally, people kept tweaking it and giving the audience, you know, a chance to find them. And it became number one show for like how long? And now it's like famous, famous. And moving it around. They, yeah, it they, don't, they don't stick with shows anymore. They move them around, but so much, so much that you can't even find it. You don't know when it's on. So it's a great way to make a lot of money, um, but it's a fickle business. And I don't know. I like the high wire act. Not talking about Pippin, but theater, live <laughs> theater, whether it's concerts or theater or directing for the theater. There's something about the immediacy of all of that that I've always been attracted to. So anywhere in that realm seems to suit me best. Well, Lucy, this is a business that's constantly evolving. And over the changes that you've seen throughout your career, what are the changes that you really absolutely love that you've seen in the business that have changed? And what are some of the things that you really miss in the business that are no longer there? Hmm. Not sure I know how to answer that. Uh, hmm. Well, only because I talk about this in my show. It's one of the things that's coming up about the things that I wish, the things that I, not the changes that are not so good. And this is really just for actors that are listening and producers and directors and casting directors. The whole idea that nobody gets to audition in, in a real theater anymore. Thank you. Yes. What the hell? I mean, the reason we are theater people is that most of us have this quality about us that we're actually kind of shy in ways, in certain ways. But we come to life with that dark fourth wall, you mm -hmm. know, where we can be on stage with a, whether it's one light or a million lights and we talk out to the dark, you know, into the help. Mr. Ziegfeld, Mr. Ziegfeld, you know, I always joke. It's like, it's what we do. And you can become your character because it takes a lot of concentration. You have to go somewhere to sing your lyric, to play your scene. It's, you don't, you're not just facing 13 other people. Nowadays, nobody auditions in a theater like I used to. You're in a rehearsal room somewhere with fluorescent lighting and 12, 14 people sitting in front of you behind a table. That's close to you. Most of them on their phones, you know, while you're trying to sing, they're going, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like, you know, they're not paying any attention. It's so hard. It's so much harder. And I think the fact that people, young people today, older people, whoever has to go in there and do that, that they can tune that out somehow, miraculously and do a good audition is just incredible. It's amazing. And I've been on both sides of that table. I have auditioned for people and I've also been a director and a producer auditioning people. And as an auditioner, it breaks my heart because I beg, can't we just be in a theater? Can't we? No, I'm sorry. You can't rent theaters anymore. No, they're too expensive. No, they don't allow you in. What? 
well, can we turn all the lights off in here? Then at least put a spot on this. But no, we can't do that either. It's really hard. What's better, I guess, is the diversity uh, that there's a lot of different ways to look at properties these days. And people aren't being, you know, uh, eliminated because they're not tall enough. They're not white enough. They're not whatever, you know. Um, some of that's real good. It's a great, it's a great way to look at, at a lot of different works of art. And um, I think it's, I mean, I, I wish that people took, part of me wishes people took theater a little more seriously, like we used to, people used to dress up to come to see live. Oh my God. Yes, absolutely. Because it's a big deal that these people are up there on the high wire act. It's not taped. They're not going to start, stop and start like, they would abuse an audience like crazy if you're taping a television show, right? They keep those people there for 10 hours sometimes. And they do things 13, 14 times. What? We never did that on our show. And I just think it's criminal that they do that. But people come to the theater these days and it's allowed because it's such an economic thing. It doesn't matter. We don't care what you wear. Just pay the, you know, $4,000 for your ticket and show up. But they come in shorts and they have shopping bags from Macy's and they eat their lunch while you're doing your performance, you know? It's a different world. It's like you see people who travel in airplanes today and it's a five hour flight and it's cold where they're going and they're in flip-flops and shorts. And I go, what if there's an accident? <laughs> <laughs> you, you and I agree. I, I agree with you. I totally agree with you. You know, so I don't know. There's, there's, it's progress and it's economically, it's all about economics. Follow the money. It's always about the money. So, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know. It's, it's a never changing thing. As you said, it's very fluid and that's a good thing, I suppose, you know. In your show, um, I got the job. Uh, you talk about the people along the way that you've worked with, incredible people. And I'd like to talk about some of the people that you've worked without giving away too much of your show. Uh, because, uh, but uh, I'd like to just talk about some of the people along the way. And I'd like you to give a, a, a little glimpse of what they gave you both as an artist and what they gave you as a human being that you've mm -hmm. carried throughout your life. Um, and I'll start with Cy Coleman with Seesaw. Mm -hmm. Cy, God, what a wonderful and guy. Your mom with Wildcat, you know, and work. I guess I've known Cy. I, I knew him since I was eight and a half years old. That's when she did Wildcat. And I, I guess I got to know him a little bit then. And then when we did Seesaw together, he sort of remembered me. I barely remembered him. And uh, I had to really work hard to get that part. They, um, at first I was told I didn't have it. I auditioned and I, they said, you didn't get it. And I went, no, no, that's not possible. Cause I, I, I'm totally that person. So there must be a mistake. <laughs> Can you imagine the gall, but it was Thanksgiving weekend. I flew to New York. I had auditioned and auditioned with, uh, um, David Craig, you know, worked on my audition with David Craig for, for weeks before this. And they had asked me to sing a ballad. And so I worked on a ballad and I don't know why they, maybe it's because they watched the here's Lucy show and they saw that I can be big and belt and do comedy and stuff, but they asked for a ballad. So I sang a ballad and I did well. I thought I sang it really, really well. It turns out I did, but I got home to the hotel and several hours later, my agent called and he said, well, um, unfortunately, you, I don't, you're not going to get it. Why? What happened? I, I, I don't know. They, they went another way. I said, no, 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 no. You can't tell me. You don't know why. 
Do I need to know why? So he promised he would call and try to reach somebody. He said, it's Thanksgiving weekend. They're all gone. There's nobody to talk to. I said, please, 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 Eric, you got to call Eric Shepard. You got, you have to call him. So he did. And he got an answer. He, he tracked down somebody and they said, Cy Coleman said, you did a wonderful job, but he's not sure you can belt. I'm sorry. What? So I said, wait, you have to get me another audition. No, no, that's crazy. They told me to pick up. I go nuts. And finally he said, Jesus. Okay. Blah, 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 blah. So Cyclamen said, all right, God, all right. Well, Jesus, she wants the part that bad. He said, I'll be out in Los Angeles in two weeks. I can listen to her sing that. They were going to wait, right? So I went home to LA and with my singing teacher at the time, I like I worked up like five belt your ass off ballads. <laughs> and he came over to Harriet Lee, my teacher at the time, came over to her house and sat in the living room, and I sang probably everything Ethel Merman's ever sung in her life. And all these big things. After about the third one, he goes, okay, you can belt. You got the job. Which is, <laughs> <laughs> I think, where this poster title comes from, is me going, yes, I got the job. I, got the job. I convinced him, which was meant a lot to me. And we just stayed friends forever after that. Um, we wrote but a song. I love the fact that you fought for this. I fought for it. Yes. And I was a shy person. I thought, oh, no, he's going to think I'm just the spoiled little. I thought, no, no. I saw the show. I know who that character is. And I'm that. that's me. Even though I'm not Jewish, I didn't live in New York. But I, I lived with those people. You know, Gary Morton and his entire family and Sid Vonda and Sid and Vonda and all these people. So I went, no, I, I know who this is. I totally know who this is. And then he gave me the part and I was just thrilled. Later on, years later, you know, we were, we stayed friends. We did all kinds of benefit tributes together. We wrote a song together called She Keeps Getting Better All the Time from my mother's last series, Life with Lucy. Yes. And we, we were told that, that she liked it and they were hiring us. And then we were deciding who's going to sing it. We thought we'll go to Mel Torme. And all of a sudden they're recording a song for the theme. And I went, Gary, what? My stepfather. Gary, what happened? He said, oh, we got, we saw another song and it was pretty good. Your mom likes it. So uh, Edie Gourmet is doing it. I went, I have to go back to Cy Coleman and tell him that we're not doing this song and he's been fired. Like, what? <laughs> circle, circle, circle. Someday I'm going to put a little show together of all these little funny songs that had ridiculous stories attached to them like that one. And so I just, I adored him. One of the kindest, funniest sweetest men and one of his piano players. I mean, forget the music that he wrote. Just watching him at the keys, you know, was, oh. Just amazing. Oh. One of the best in the business. And then um, Annie Get Your Gun uh, at Jones Beach, they don't do those musicals at that theater anymore. No. And I used to love to go there to see those yeah. musicals. I mean, what was your experience of working on that stage uh, against the elements of the beach and sand and wind and everything else? Well, it wasn't exactly on the beach because it was in the harbor well, area. Like yes, yes, yes. But yes, there's water. The As I say in my show, the, the sets floated in, you know, on these big pontoon boats. Yes. And, and then there's a, a sort of a smaller main stage in the front where the orchestra is. And then there's all this water. And then there's this giant stage in the back where a lot of the bigger numbers were done and they had to be three times bigger than they would be on a normal stage because it was very far away. It was 8,000 seats outdoors and people, you know, have to watch on the main stage, which is why they told us 
be careful of your face and don't think nobody's seeing you because they all have binoculars and they're all looking. I mean, we had fireworks in the show because we could, because we would do shooting, you know, pull and we'd shoot the gun and the, the sky would open up with fireworks. And they wouldn't, I always laughed because some nights we'd be out there in the rain. We'd be singing in the rain because they didn't want to cut, you know, shorten the show. They didn't want to cut the show because of that, unless you were, unless it was totally pouring because they'd have to give your, Absolutely. Back to your tickets. And so some nights we'd be out there and it just slashing through this stuff, you know, and the, all the hats and the feathers are, you know, hanging down in your face, like while you're trying to sing. But I loved every minute of it. I had Harv Presnell as my leading man. I Absolutely. mean, let's just start with that, who was the dearest, funniest pe person ever and a great company of, of uh, actors and singers. And there wasn't a bad apple in the bunch, except, um, unfortunately, our director, Richard Barstow, who was a doll, had directed Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey Circus, which is why they hired him for this, I think, because of the spectacle mm -hmm. element of this whole thing. He had a stroke, like the second day we were in rehearsal, only we didn't know it. They found out like a week later that that's what had happened, but basically he just stopped directing and he just kind of went, uh-huh, uh-huh. He said, Richard, should we, do you want to rehearse the scene? Should we do this scene? Do you want dancers to kind of go, yeah, sure. Wow. wow. So Harv and I ended up having to direct and learn and perform and everything all at once. We had to make decisions along with our wonderful choreographer. Like, what are we going to do? And the producer, Lee Goober, didn't, he, he didn't replace him. He just left him doing nothing. And we kept saying, Lee, he's not directing. He's not, he's not in charge here. And he went, well, he'll be all right. No, he wasn't all right. Was there he never any, directed any, another any point Did you find, how did you figure this out? Much later, after the show was open and they had to take him away a couple of times, and then they came back later, mid-run mid of the summer, and said, you know, what actually happened was Dick had a, had a mini stroke, and he, we didn't know it. He wasn't paralyzed or anything, but he wasn't able to, like, make decisions or anything. And, and he just, they kept bringing him to the set, and he'd sit there, and he'd smile. Oh you go, you want to do this? And you go, that's good. Let's do that. God bless him. Talk about the yeah. business that there's no business like. And that was the summer I decided. Yeah, right. Everything about it is appealing. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Not so much. Oh my but god! It was, the, it was also the summer I decided to quit smoking. I wasn't a huge smoker, but I did smoke since I was like 15. I was 26 then, and I said, I can't, I can't be singing in Ethel Merman's keys because they were mm -hmm. outdoors on the water for the whole entire summer. That's crazy, Cray. And so I decided I'm just going to throw my cigarettes away. And after the show, when I'm done with this show, then if I want to smoke, I'll smoke, right? Well, I never smoked again because why would you go? Why would you start again if you got through the whole summer? But can you imagine? Anybody says, oh, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't quit smoking because I was so tense. I was in this very tense situation. I had to smoke. I said, honey, you have never been in a more tense situation than trying to open a Broadway show without a director out of Jones Beach. So if I could get through that without a cigarette, I could get through anything later on. Did you ever lose your voice? In that show, no. I never. Nobody else had to ever go on for me. Um, I had to really be careful, though. I, I really had to be careful. And my time off during the day, I was like, I lived like a nun most of the time. Once in a while, Harv and I would go out and get a take a glass of wine or something after the show, but not a lot because it was hard. It was a big, big show you know, to do. I had a friend who was in Follies and she smoked like a chimney. 
And we went out to dinner after her, the, one of the revivals of uh, Follies. And uh, the moment she came out of the stage door, she lit up a cigarette. And I said, I said, what are you doing to yourself? I've never understood how anyone would be able to sing. Look at Frank Sinatra and lots of people they smoked. And I didn't even understand how dancers, practically every dancer I knew was a smoker. That seems even worse because the, the, you know, the breath control you need to dance that hard. It is astounding. But um, yeah, so I decided this meant a lot. That's when I knew I was really serious about this business. I said, oh, this is an opportunity. This is a really big gig. You're going to be at Jones Beach outside New York. You're going to get New York reviews. And it's an entire summer long gig. It's not like a summer stock show. It's during the summer, but it's a week or three weeks or something. This was two and a half months, three months, right? So I, I really wanted to be good. I didn't want to screw up. And then I got the audition for their playing our song. So there was no way I was going to go start smoking before I did that. And then I got the job and I thought, well, now you can't stop start smoking because you're going to be on Broadway. And, you know, it was like, now you're an idiot if you smoke ever again. You're, you're stupid, you know. So just a couple of years ago, you came back to Broadway for a one night only concert. Uh, you did did you want do one or two nights? Just one. You just Could have done one three or four. That was you and Robert came back. You all came back and you did it again. Yeah. Um, was there anything that you learned differently about yourself coming back and doing it again? After I know that time had passed on, you're mm-hmm. older, you're wiser. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would, did it feel like doing this role again? after life had moved on and coming back for the chance to do it one more time. And it killed me that Mm. I was not able to be there that night. It was miraculous. It was like Cinderella time. It was, it was a gift. I can't even begin to really put into words. Um, First of all, the coolest thing was, is that except for one line where I said, well, they do after they turn 30, you know, the rest of the show actually still worked like it was, the script still was exactly the same. We may not have been doing Marvin Hamlish and Carol Bayer Sager's story, 1979, but we could have been doing, you know, Cy Coleman and Dorothy Fields, 1974. It, they were just older people falling in love and trying to work together and make it make sense. So that was all great. And the music it was so much fun to revisit. And I revisit it from time to time in my club act anyway. I sing, I still believe in love. I sing, they're playing a song. I often do, you know, a lot of those songs. Um, And I love singing them. And I think I have a voice that's matured and a phrasing that's matured and I've gotten older. So when you sing songs like I still believe in love and you're 40 years older, you know exactly what you're singing about. Absolutely. And so it's not a young girl singing a pop tune you know, trying to fall in love with this dude. It's a whole other world. And I think that brought some special magic to it. Uh, plus it was just the, the audience that night was insane. They, they were such lovers of the show of us, I guess. And to <laughs> Bob Klein, <laughs> you know, he's, he's 10 years older than I am. And he didn't really pay much attention to like getting the script ahead of time or, trying to, we had to read, you know, it was a reading and a concert, but you kind of want to know a little bit about what you're saying. He was pretty much reading it the whole night and he made me laugh so hard through most of it, just because he was so surprised, like, oh, 
There was a laugh there. I forgot there was <laughs> I had to hold for a laugh. It's like, I should have read this before. This is this is a funny show. You know, it was adorable. I just loved it. I could have done it. I could have gone back and done it again if I'd only had the the stamina to to do those squats in the middle of their playing our song. You know, that's not gonna happen anymore. <laughs> and I want to talk about two other collaborations, Tommy Toon. Ugh. One of our dearest friends, yes. right? Well, I've, I've done three shows with Tommy yeah. and a television special and everything. We did Seesaw together. We did My One and Only together, the national tours, national tours. And we did uh, a reinvented version of Mac and Mabel. Mm-hmm. After it closed on Broadway, Jerry Herman wanted to try again. He hired Ron Field. And Tommy got to come in and play the Lisa Kirk role as well as the writer. So he got to do Tap Your Troubles Away. My idea. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, it was a it was a terrific experience. The show didn't prove that it worked any better than the first time, mostly because Michael Stewart, rest his sweet soul, uh, the, the author, refused to change one single word of the book. And the book needed some work. We changed everything we could change and fixed everything we could fix to make it less bizarre that it was a musical comedy about slapstick and you know drug addiction it's that's a strange world in musical comedy and in 1974 people really weren't ready for that today i think they would be because anything goes right it's it's all out there and um but the music it's just such such wonderful music and anyway so so tommy did that we love doing my one and only together that's I always say, you know, just the fact that I could keep up with him tap dancing wise was a, I felt like I had really earned my stripes. And um, he's one of my closest friends in the world. He's like just, a brother to me. I love him so much. And he's I the nicest him. man in the business. Just and one of the most talented. He can do everything. And what is he? Ten time Tommy Toon toe tapping Tony Award winner. I mean, it's, and his Tony Awards on his ladder in his yeah. he went out. the ladder he had to get a bigger ladder. Yes, exactly. And Ron Abel uh, and how the two of you have come together and creating this alchemy that you two have yeah, created yeah. together. Well, we met in 1988 from put my first nightclub back together. I was introduced to him by a mutual friend uh, to do something for her and we just clicked and I got an offer to go to Sicily and put an Irving Berlin show together. And he was in my world. And I said, would you like to go to Italy and do this show with me? I've never done a nightclub act before. And he did it. We researched it and we did it over there for Irving Berlin's hundredth anniversary. And then we came back to the States and did it for a year. And I had never done a club act and everybody said, Oh, you don't want to do that. You don't want to. So you'll never amortize your mind. It's a hole of show business. Don't you don't No, You don't want to do it. Actually, I kind of do. I'd like to actually do that. I think that would be fun. And I proved them all wrong because I just kept getting gigs and taking out the Berlin when it wasn't his 100th birthday and putting in a little Gershwin and Cy Coleman and, you know, whatever, Sondheim. And 33 years later, we're still doing concerts and nightclubs. And it's an absolute joy. There's nobody. Well, there's a lot of very talented people out there. You know, the Billy Stritches and the Ted Firths and the Michael Orlands and uh, the Todd Schroeders. There's lots of really great, very talented, genius musical directors out there. And and I've enjoyed working with all of them because Ron's not always available. And um, but he's my anchor. He's my my musical anchor. I trust his uh, it's not just his piano playing and his arranging. I, I trust his sensibility 
about music and about arcing a show, what's right for me. And if I say I want to do a certain song, he goes, why? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> he makes me justify or he'll say, I want to do this. And I go, mm, I don't really see that. Mm. And he go, but how about if we do it like this? And then he has some take, like he's always, he wanted, we were talking about Psycholman. We could sing, Hey, Look Me Over. Everybody wants to sing. And I said, oh, come on. That's like my mother's theme song, for God's sakes. And it, hey, da, 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 da. it's like a marching song. I don't want to sing. That's her theme song. And it's, and he went, Your arrangement is just amazing. Well, he said, you're going to, you're probably going to hit me, but you want to do some Psycholman. I think we should do, Hey, Look Me Over and don't say no until I show you how I want to do it. And he played me that arrangement. And I now I can't get it out of my show. I mean, I don't do it in this show because it isn't from a show that I did, but it almost is always the closing number in every show I do. So it's, he's astounding. And I, I just adore him and he knows that. And I hope we, and he's got a, he's got a whole summer working with Debbie Wellman. He's going out to doing Debbie's Judy show this summer for in June. Have you seen Debbie? I have only online, you know, of course. Yeah. The TikTok things that she does. So uh, that's fine. Cause you're going to be on this show on the 8th yeah. and then I'm going to Provincetown to see her on the 20th. He'll be there. He's her musical director for this whole yeah. June thing. Which was fine because all of most of our dates were in July and, and further on in the year we had one date I changed in order to make it, uh, him able to do that, and he's you know he's very much in demand for a lot of reasons so I have to hold on tight. Well, so are you, and I'm going to be with an entourage. Uh, some friends of yours are joining uh, joining me, and we're going to be there cheering you on on July 14th at. Oh, Feinstein. good opening night! Uh, yes, we're going to be there. Out. Uh, cheering you on. So um, I am going to be giving away a gift basket tonight of some of your CDs. So, and and, uh, the uh, word of the night is serenity, uh, where we started. Uh, I have some uh, just wind down questions that I'm going to ask you uh, as we end this. And the first question is, are you a pet person? Oh, I was for years. I had every kind of pet you can name. I had it. I mean, and I mean that sincerely from many dogs to many cats to two horses. I had guppies and I had goldfish and I had parakeets and canaries and raised them. And I had turtles. Then I had, when I had my own house, I had two different boa constrictors. I had a minor bird. I had two rabbits. We've had goats. Uh, let's see, what else? What have I forgotten? I can't, I've had every kind of conceivable thing, hamsters, gerbils, my kid had a, my son, Simon had a flying monkey. Um, it's, it's, I love pets, but after the last one passed away, I went, okay, that's it. I'm done. I, I don't want to go through that anymore. And I like being spontaneous now. Raising children was enough. And <laughs> when Larry and I can walk out and shut the door and lock it and not worry about pets or kids, we find a lot of serenity. In that. Serenity. There you have it. Um, what is the best possible attitude to have in this business? In the business, it's not personal. Don't take it personal. Uh, rejection is going to be the name of the day. And it's not almost ever personal. Unless you have a personal something horrible going on with the person that's producing or casting in which they won't mm-hmm. see you because they just don't like you, period. But generally it's about what the create creators have in their mind and you don't fit that, or you're too tall, you're too this, you're too that. It's not personal. Um, I know because as I said, I've been on the other side of the deal. Um, I don't know what, 
give me another way of asking that question because I think I could have a better answer. Well, I, I mean, every day, I mean, we have to go through this business and we all deal with rejection. We deal yeah. with uh, uh, reading a bad review in the paper, seeing, yeah. especially on social media these days, yeah. people saying things that are not so kind and yeah. uh, just how do you get through it? Yeah, you don't take it personally. And um, what can I say? It, you have to just show up and be the best you you can be and, and have tenacity. Keep going back. If you love this business, you have to love the business, period, whether you're a big star or not. And I wouldn't put a whole lot of faith in, in um, the Internet, per se. A, a terrible thing has happened and a wonderful thing has happened. We were given the Internet. Hence, we can do this right now, right? But it's also kind of the kiss of death in many in many ways in the business because somebody very very talented people show up want to get a movie part television part it's come to a point now where the first thing they ask is how many followers do they have mm -hmm. seriously exactly seriously so you're forced to have a presence on social media that is exhausting and doesn't allow you to have a life and is really not authentic at all. It's mostly made up. It's look at me, look at me, look at me. And here's a picture of me here. And here's a picture of me here. And, uh, and here's my lunch. And really <laughs> like, why, why just to keep these people engaged? They can't be engaged. For hundreds of years, people have been interested in other people doing art and they didn't have social media taking pictures. I mean, it's kind of stupid. I agree. Totally agree with you. And yet you can't get a job in most places where the venue doesn't say, you know, we don't do any press. You have to, you're, you're responsible for selling all your tickets. Really? Why is that? I mean, it's like, it's just cheaper and I'm old, too old fashioned. And it really, it, it irks me. I could use other words, but I'll I say. Well, I, I saw that you almost went there. Uh, do you think a lot of people know who you truly are? It seems that a lot of people seem to now. I've been doing a lot of interviews recently um, because of the pandemic, I guess. And that's what it is. You do this. And I, I'm quite surprised that people tend to tell me I'm very down to earth or I'm, I'm very, you know, I don't have an ego, which everybody has an ego. I mean, an ego is our soul. That's it. <laughs> we, have, I spend our, we spend our whole life trying to tame the ego, even though it isn't the ego you think that, you know, diva kind of thing. But do they know who I really am? Um, I think they they do pretty much because I I put it all out there. If they've seen me, if they've heard me, if they've heard me talk or sing or, you know, met me after a show, I'm not a character that I've played on anything. That's a good thing because I'm not really known for one character, right? That's right. Uh, I've done a lot of different things. And if they know me at all, what they think they know is probably who I am. That's wonderful. Uh, what is the highest high, other than flying on a trapeze and Pippin, uh, that you've experienced in this business? Well, that was pretty much the answer. It's better than that. What gets better than training yourself how to hang from an acrobat's fingers? you know, without a net and without wires and be standing up on a trapeze 30 feet from the stage or whatever. That That's insane. 
And I did that. And that I don't know that I'll ever do anything to equal the thrill of that. But there's the thrill of opening in your first Broadway show. There's the thrill of finishing a 10-minute tap number with Tommy Toon. There's, you know, it, there's the thrill of being in a film with Laurence Olivier and having that on film for the rest of your life. Because you say in this business, it's not the highest thing in life, but in this business, working with Michael Bennett, I mean, they're all up there. They're all, there is no highest. It's just, there's a lot of good, so much good. Having, having friends in this business, like you, like David Friedman, like David Zippel, like Barry Manilow, like Ron Abel, Billy Stritch, to have to say, these are my buddies, these are my friends. And to be able to watch them and Anne Hampton, Calloway. You know, I keep meeting these marvelous, Christine Andreas. I love my community. I love the community of our business. Michael Holmes, who runs oh, the program. I do too, absolutely. There's just so many good and people. That's what, I, I, that's what I love most about this business. Yeah. I truly but do. There's a lot of great people. You know, there, we're back to the song. There's no people like show people. There's no people mm -hmm. like show people. They're really, I mean, some of them are, you know, batshit crazy. But I even, <laughs> I even like them. I do They're geniuses in their own way, you know? It's a, I'm glad I belong to the circus. I do too. Amen. I ran away with the circus. And if there, is there one person in this business that you never worked with that you wish that you could have worked with either living yes. or that is no longer with us or someone that you worked with that you wish that you could go back and work with one more time. And, you know, when I think about, you know, on, I. Uh, Here's Lucy and the, you know, that you worked with so many people on the Lucy show. Yeah. There were so many incredible artists that you've had the chance to uh, share film with. You know, there's a probably a long list. I mean, as you're saying that, just names after names are coming up. And then I'm thinking of all these wonderful people I've worked with. So I don't think like that. I don't really have a list ready for you, a bucket mm -hmm. list of people I'd like to work with. I have favorite people like I I guess the first name that came up when you said that was Kevin Klein. Wow. Would have loved to have been in a play or a musical with Kevin Klein. I was actually I did a number with him at Lincoln Center uh, for a big tribute to Cole Porter. And we opened the show. We sang You're the Top together and we got to rehearse and we got to do that and roll around the floor and do funny stuff. And that was pretty thrilling. But I adore him as a performer, as an actor. And uh, I always thought it'd be just great to be in, in a show with him. Um, I'd love to work with George Clooney one day as a director or opposite him in, in a film or in anything. I think he's amazing. And, and people I'd love to go back and work with again, you know, I work with Tommy Toon anytime he calls me for anything, anywhere at all. And, and a lot of the people have passed on that I wish I could work with again, Marvin. I wish I could work with Marvin again. I wish I could work with Neil Simon again, you know? Um, I, 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 I don't know. I, I, it's hard for me to think in terms of what I didn't get. Isn't that funny? Wow, that's incredible. Uh, do you keep a to-do uh, to list? Oh, God, yes. I am a list maker from way back. I've crippled my daughter. She's like an organ organizational freak now. I've, I've sent her to hell with this. Not because I told her to do it, but I guess she watched me do it all my life, and she's the best organizer. Now she could actually get a job as a formal organizer for people. She's wow. so good at it. But I do. I keep a to-do list. It makes me feel good to write down what my day should be like, what my week should be like. Um, it's I do it for dinner parties, and I do it for business, and uh, you know, to-do. 
this is what we got. And one is stuff that needs to be done around the house. And one is personal for me. And other ones is professional, what needs to be taken care of. And I, and I get such joy out of crossing off things. Sometimes, I sometimes I, I've already finished something, but I write it on the list so I can cross it off. <laughs> something I forgot to write. And the flip side of that, is there any aspect of this business that you are weak in? Oh, gosh, I'm sure. You mean talent-wise or just... just think, an area that you're just not good at. Self-promotion, probably. I don't do a lot of that. I mean, you have to call me to say you want to do my show. I don't have a publicity, publicity person. I don't have a publicist. I haven't had one for years, not since Charlie Pomerantz died, you know, many, 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 many years ago. Uh, I, I found that a lot of them were, uh, I want to say, ambulance chasers or, you know, ribbon cuttings. They're going to get you that kind of stuff. And I was like, I don't know. Thanks. I don't. So if I'm in something for years, I would say that every show, every movie, every play had a publicist and they would make sure that the thing you were in got publicized. Right. I mean, you were very helpful in that respect for a long time. Thank you, you don't have to do it yourself. You're not supposed to. There are people for that. That's right. And then now we're back to what we just talked about. No, there aren't people for that. I'm um, sorry if you do it all by yourself. You don't have those people anymore. Um, but I'm not, I'm not really good at self-promotion. I'm not sure why that is. I just, it makes me go like, well, um, you know, come see me if you want. I have to really force myself to, like you sent me the thing today, you know, publicize this on social media and put it all out there. And I always go like, oh, okay. <laughs> We had a huge audience tonight, so, so uh, it, your name got them here, so thank well, you. Well, I'm glad. That makes um, me happy. And I'm going to put you on the spot right now, okay? Uh -oh. Tell me three things that you love about yourself. Oh, oh, you did put me on the spot. Mm. I never give up. I keep at it, whatever it is that I want to fix or try accomplish. I keep, I keep going back. I think I learned that from my father who said there must be a way. This was his like mantra, if mm -hmm. you will. Mm -hmm. uh, and my husband who always comes back into the room to find a way to solve things. I never give up. Um, I like people. I like people. I'm, I really care deeply about people in general. I believe we're all good at, in our core. There are no bad people. And I know a lot of people come to mind when I say that. There are people who make bad choices. But at heart, I believe people are good. I'm very Anne Frank in that respect. I um, and the third thing, life is, life is good. Life is a ball, if only you know it, as the song lyric says. I believe that life is inherently a great ride. And I try really hard not to miss out on the best parts of it. I want to live it as, as well as I can, as lovingly as I can, as openly as I can, as respectfully as I can for as long as I'm able. Just, that's the best I can do. I could probably list about 15 other things that I am working on, but let's that's go with wonderful. this. And this is my last question. What is the biggest thing that you have ever stolen? Mary Luckenbill's heart. Ah, great answer. And you've stolen mine too. <laughs> so uh, so anyway, we're going to give away uh, my giveaway tonight. And this is how I do this. We have a lot of people who signed on tonight. I love doing this. Oh, look at that. I, That's so I love giving away things. And uh, I'm going to... Uh, 
Keith Copage. Oh, I don't even, Keith! I do know you, him. You do? I do. That's uh, well, so Keith, uh, so Keith, uh, Richard at richardskipper.com. Send me an email after the show. Again, it's richard at richardskipper.com. Make sure that I get that so that I will be able to send you my right. little gift uh, package. Don't go anywhere for a moment, Lucy. I want to thank everybody for being here tonight. You could have been anywhere else. It's Memorial Day. Uh, I got a lot of sun today, as you can see. Uh, you could have been anywhere tonight, but you chose to be with Lucy and me. And I, I know that I can speak for Lucy when I say this. We don't take it lightly when you show up. So thank you for being here tonight. Uh, if this was your first time here, I hope it will not be your last. Uh, please consider subscribing to my channel. Uh, my goal, my mission is to celebrate artists and their body of worth. Uh, I'm all about celebrating. There's too much of the other kind of ranting in the world, and that's not what I'm about. I celebrate. Uh, if this is your first time here, uh, please consider subscribing. Uh, please leave a comment on YouTube after the show. Let your friends know about the show. And please, I always end the show uh, by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Uh, go to your Facebook friends list and reach out to the fifth name that pops up and reach out with a phone call. Not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, but a phone call. And let that person know what they mean to you. I always ended my shows this way. And yesterday I had Joanna Gleason on the show. Oh. And she said, yes, I love her. And she said that after all of her shows, she tells everyone on Sunday night, reach out with a phone call because the week is ending, but it's Monday night. It feels like Sunday. Reach out with a phone call tonight. Uh, Lucy and I have a mutual friend and I quote him at the end of every show. And that's Sean Moniger. And Sean always says, we're all in this together, but we're not in the same boat. <laughs> and I always say, and he says, you never know what someone else is going through right now. Right. And I always say, but if you're going to go out in a boat, for God's sake, make sure you bring a skipper along. <laughs> so, Lucy, I'm going to leave the screen. I will be seeing you on uh, the 14th at Feinstein's. Okay. I'm going to give you the final word tonight. Anything you want to say about anything that we talked about tonight that you want to build upon? anything that we didn't talk about that you wish we had, or just any final message you want to leave everyone with tonight. Don't worry about how to end the show. As soon as you say goodbye, the credits will roll. I had a great time and I hope that you'll come back sometime. Thank I had a great so time too. There was a lot of love here tonight. And I think that's Thank all you. I would say is try to spread a little love. Be kind and to one another. Yours. Thank you. And you've got the final word. Be kind to one another. The world needs a lot of love right now. Let's be nice to each other. That's it.
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.